1: Good happy week eight. Course, week eight coming up in the NFL. Uh, Happy week eight to everyone in the 2023 NFL season. This is the X and o, X's and O's with uh, me, Doug Ferrar of Touchdown Wire and the USA Today Sports Media Group, and the guy over there is Greg Cosell of NFL Films and ESPN's NFL Matchup. And Greg, we're almost halfway through the season. It's just raced by. It is moving pretty quickly, and uh, uh, I guess I guess that's good. I don't know.
0: It's it just good. kind of is. It's, it's just, good. you know, it's it's like Groundhog Day, you know, or Groundhog Week <laughs>
1: or whatever, whatever Groundhog we would like to call it. Whatever Groundhog, all the Groundhogs. So yeah. uh, before we get into this week's matchup, I wanted to, because the Ravens are playing the Cardinals and the Lions are playing the Raiders. So not, you know, matchup perspective, but it was a fascinating game. And I, I want to ask you about Baltimore's passing offense, which it, we were all kind of waiting for. It, and then it was there. But we talked last week about Aaron Glenn, the Lions-DC's evolution. I thought he had a really interesting game plan. He seemed to want to counter the Ravens' run game with base personnel and five-man fronts. When the Lions do this, they'll have Alex Anzalone and Derek Barnes as the off-ball guys, and Jack Campbell's usually playing on the edge. It was a lot of cover three behind that, and I thought that left some openings for what the Ravens wanted to do. I just – I'm not – you know, I'm not denigrating Aaron Glenn. If they had run the ball more, if it was more of a, like a multiple run game, like they usually do, maybe that would have worked. But I thought it was interesting that the lions went in with a certain plan and the Ravens had a lot of answers for it.
0: Yeah. This was something the lions have been doing the last couple of weeks, by the way, since Jack Campbell has become a more significant part of, of their defense. So this was not specific necessarily to the Ravens. This is something they had been doing quite a bit. Um, So they did, they did, play a lot of five-man fronts out of base because Campbell walks up on the ball as an edge player. So it ends up being a 5-2 front. Um, but as I said, this is something they've been doing. Uh, they did play a lot more a single high. In, you know, they played a lot of single high in this game, um, and there were certainly some openings. Um, and they couldn't really get pressure um, – on the quarterback. They actually played more man coverage in this game than I would have expected, given that they'd not played a high percentage of man throughout this year. Um, Cover one was their most played coverage. And normally you don't think about playing cover one against Lamar Jackson unless you're going to spy him. And they only did that, I believe twice in the game. So that wasn't really a foundational part of their plan, Doug. So they did play a lot of cover one, but they did play a lot of cover three as well. Um, And I thought the, I thought Todd Monken and that that pass game really had good answers against that coverage. Um, they really were able to get into voids really well with their route concepts. Um, they were able to do some things into the boundary that you don't often see. So it was just a really good plan, and they were unable to rush the quarterback. You know, obviously with Lamar, as you know, you run into sort of that balance between do we rush him hard do we rush them with what some call a mush rush? How do we go about it? Um, and I thought overall the front of the Lions did not play with with the needed assignment discipline, you, both versus run or
1: pass, that's yeah. required. Dan Campbell mentioned that after the game, like, if we're going to do what we did, our guys have to be there. You can't let the ball go over your head. And Lamar had some touch throws. Um, where it was just you know, bang, and he had that uh, backside vert to Flowers, which I thought was, his, I think it was his third read. He's just playing so well in that offense. Which play are you talking about on that one? Do you remember? Uh It was twenty-four sh- yard completion to Flowers with sixteen seconds left in the first quarter. Lands were in cover four. Um, yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to <laughs> sit here and look. Yeah, for no, the- no, I don't. I don't. I mean.
0: Yeah, that, that just, specific play, it was 24 right. yards. That specific play, I don't think I marked, but so I can't remember that one specifically.
1: But just in general, I mean, we, we had said, like I, I mentioned last week, we, like we're, Lamar's playing really well. It had this sort of off-and-on feel. How much of that was just, you know, as you said, with Monken dialing it up, I mean, is, is this – did you see steps forward beyond what the Lions did or did not do on defense? Well, I think one of the things you have to look at, too, is Lamar Jackson was not under much pressure in this game, uh,
0: which takes nothing away from the fact that he made good throws. Uh, But there wasn't a lot of pressure on him. He didn't have to deal with that a whole lot. Um, You know, as I said, I thought their route concepts did a really nice job of, I'm sure, attacking what they felt were pretty anticipated coverage concepts. Uh, So it was just one of those games where it was clean. It was a very clean game for the quarterback in terms of secure and clean pockets. And it was a clean game in in terms of route concepts, breaking down coverages. So Mm -hmm. it really presented defined reads and throws. And it just, it it was the kind of game that looked by NFL standards, just too easy. Yeah.
1: Although Lamar still made some nice, you know, spots. Without question. You still have to make the throws. Yeah. Yeah so uh into the week eight matchups that we're going to discuss and here's an offense that did not look clean it kind of surprised everyone uh patriots at dolphins dolphins against the eagles just my notes um not a lot of crossing speed acceleration motion no. what they did do it cedric wilson was usually the guy it wasn't hill it wasn't waddle they got three decent pass plays out of those but it wasn't the dynamic motion we've come to expect especially from Hill and Waddle, as I said. And the run game just looked off. Formations were weird. There were some false starts where Miami just looked off in its own offense. It just wasn't gelling. And the spacing of the routes was weird. Like, I, I didn't – and I know the Eagles – I think the Eagles played – yeah, they were, in, they were in too high on 30 snaps against the Dolphins. And that's not something you expect from the Eagles. That's not – No, but that's how you play the Dolphins. Right. So I don't played, know, they played that game specific,
0: specific to the opponent – Right. Um, and I think there's a couple of things to unpack here. <clears throat> Number one, let's start with how the Eagles played. First of all, they were playing with Sidney Brown and Terrell Edmonds at safety. So they're going to play split safety. And that is the best way to play the Dolphins offense anyway. And certainly when you have a rookie safety and another safety who's really not a back-end safety just by his traits. So you play split safety um, and you you keep everything in front of you, ideally. Um, uh, so they did they, – they did the right thing. They did what every coach would say you have to do when you play the Dolphins, is you play split safety because you can't play single high because your corners can't handle the speed. And Slay and, and Bradbury cannot handle the speed. So they did the right thing. Um, the other thing is watching this Dolphins offense, and again, you and I have seen it probably every game this year. It oh, did yeah. not look like the Dolphins offense I had seen oh. through six games. And oh. I can't answer the, the why of that. I can only tell you what the film showed. But I don't recall Hill being in motion across the formation in that game, no. which is something that has been a staple literally every single week of what they've done. They did not – even their run game, to me the run game that they started with was nothing like the run game that I expected based on watching their first six games. Then they finally got to that in the third quarter, and you saw what Mostert did. He had some long runs. Yeah. because. So, I, again, I can't explain the
1: why yeah, of it. I can it only say that – conventional. As opposed yeah, yeah. To, I know, can only say
0: that the picture of what the Dolphins did based on film did not look like what they had done in the previous six games.
1: Yeah, the only explosive pass play they allowed in two high was two is twenty nine yard pass to Cedric Wilson with two oh three left in the first half. It <laughs> looked like he expected Wilson to run in on a deep post. He was cheating inside Wilson, cut it to the outside against cover four. But you're um, talking
0: about the twenty nine yarder on third and eighteen? Yeah. Yeah. That came uh, versus. I mean, that was a loose cover four because it was third and 18.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, A little bonus coverage. Yeah, Tua has faced two high looks more than any other quarterback this season, 120 drawbacks. No surprise there. Uh, Three touchdowns, three interceptions. Now, Dolphins Patriots, let's spin this forward. The Patriots in week two ran two high 19 times. Tua had two attempts of 20 or more air yards in that game. One was an incompletion of Tyreek Hill on which Tua was pressured on a zone drop out of a five-man front look. And the other was the Christian Gonzalez interception in which Tua sailed it up in the air under pressure and Gonzalez basically returned an arm punt. Um, the Patriots blitzed Tua 11 times, but they blitz 121 times a season, so they'll do that. And I wanted to mention a guy I've always liked. One of their best blitz looks is with a four-man front and using Jawan Bentley as a free blitzer from the second level. Um, And when they blitz, but here's the thing: when they blitz him in week two, he completed seven passes for seventy-three yards and a touchdown. So if you send extra pass rushers and you open up those early reads, he'll take those all day long because that's just another potential first read with an extra guy coming.
0: Yeah, you have to be judicious in how you go about doing that. And sometimes you can rush a second-level player in what we call a simulated pressure or a zone exchange where he just becomes the fourth rusher and you drop someone else out so you're not losing someone in coverage. Um, But, you know, I thought the Patriots uh, had a very good feel for taking away some first-window throws. In fact, there was a sack. I forget who made it, in which they took away a first window throw. And we know that Tua often gets uncomfortable when that happens. Uh, the Eagles did that a couple of times as well and Tua got uncomfortable. Um so it really starts, as we've discussed before, it starts with coverage. You have to take away those first window throws because pressure won't get there by if the ball comes out on time. So if you can take that away, then you get Tua being uncomfortable. He's not a late-in-the-down quarterback. He's not a guy with a big arm. He can't sit on his back foot and drive the ball three seconds, you know, into the, into the play, which is late in the down. So, you know, ultimately – Belichick will attempt to do that and he'll probably attempt to do it differently than he did week two because he's not going to do the exact same thing, but he'll do it. He'll try to do it anyway. Um, I'm very curious to see coming off this loss to the Eagles, how Mike McDaniel responds, because Mm -hmm. like I said, I can't tell you what was in his head as far as his game plan versus the Eagles, but it certainly did not look like the Dolphins of the first six weeks.
1: No, I went through the transcripts looking for clues and there really wasn't much. You just, you know, we didn't Looking looking for clues at the scene of the crime. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Uh, so that's a fascinating game. We have not talked about the Patriots offense at all for obvious reasons. I don't know if we need to go into that at all. Mac Jones, <coughs> kind of who
0: he is. I mean, I did watch them this week. Um, you know, so it was kind of an interesting watch, you know, uh, again, Mac Jones, we know what kind of player he is as well, you know, in some ways, He's not the same player Tua is, but he's another quarterback that needs the scheme to present the defined reads and throws for him. uh, So the ball can come out. Um, He's not a late in the down player. I wouldn't say he's unathletic, but he's not a second reaction player. Uh, So, you know, it, it it all needs to be presented to him. Um, And then he can make throws. Um, Now this particular week, you know, they dealt with a, a defense in the bills that basically, I didn't think the bills defense played well at all. The, um, uh, the bills generated no pass rush, um, yeah. and they actually were able to sustain a bit with the run game. The Patriots, so uh, it allowed Jones to sort of play to his comfort level throughout much of the game. But that's the way he has to play.
1: Right. Well, they're out. Uh, they're down uh, Trey White and Matt Milano and DaQuan Jones, who might have been their three best defensive players this season. So that's rough.
0: Yeah, and DaQuan Jones had his. <laughs> Far and away, his best game of the year, yeah. maybe his career. The first time they played Miami earlier this season, when the Bills, you know, easily handled the Dolphins. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, you know, the the, the the Patriots offensively had been poor until this week, but they were uh, they at least they had some efficiency to their offense this week.
1: Well, last thing on the Dolphins is that a burn the tape game. Do You just kind of move on, like hey, some days I'm not a you, you know, know just don't have it.
0: You know, again, I'm not a coach, but I'm not a believer in that. I think you learn something every time you put on tape. Oh, sure. Um, So, you know, uh, you'd like to think that, uh, and and Mike McDaniel's a hell of a lot smarter than I am, but you'd like to think he's going to look at that tape and learn something and say, okay, this this didn't work or, hey, I like this particular thing. You know, you'd like to think you learned something from studying the tape.
1: And that, I mean, they tried. They they looked atypical as we suggested. So maybe yeah. he's, maybe they were trying different looks. Maybe they were worried about the Eagles' pass rush. Oh, okay, this works and this doesn't. I don't know, but that was it was on. Uh, Browns at Seahawks. The Colts against the Browns did a really good job of hitting Cleveland's defense with man beaters and RPOs, um, especially now Gardner Minshew against Cleveland's cover one. And we mentioned last week, Cleveland will just cover 1 you 7 of 9 for 144 yards and the touchdown of Michael Pittman Pittman ran a dig and just ran through Cleveland's defense. The Browns did not tackle well in that game which was weird. Um but you up almost 500 yards of offense
0: to the to to the uh, Colts.
1: Yeah. Um and there were specific things that Shane uh, Steichen did to attack what the Browns do. Gino Smith there was not been great against cover 1 this season. Uh 12 of 24 one touchdown, one interception, and pass rating of sixty-eight point one. The Seahawks have been successful with underneath stuff against it, like curls, comebacks, and swing passes. But the fade balls to DK Metcalf have been a mixed bag. So maybe the Browns stick with that plan this week. Um, and something that you mentioned, and I went back and looked at it in the last in their first four games, the Seahawks were at eleven personnel and ninety-one dropbacks, which ranked twenty-sixth in the league in their last two games they've been in 11 on 55 dropbacks so they're getting smith and Jibba on the field more often um although gino's been really streaky the last couple of games he's thrown two of his three interceptions in his last two games out of 11 so maybe i don't i don't know uh well, but it's a thing. they're still trying to put everything together with three receivers on the field it's
0: interesting because 2 weeks ago they were heavy 11 okay uh, Metcalf played two weeks ago. They were over 70% 11 personnel two weeks ago this week. And maybe it was a function of Metcalf being inactive more than 50% of their offensive snaps against the cards came out of two and three tight end personnel. Right. So it'll be interesting because I don't think you're going to see a ton of cover one from the Browns versus two and three tight end personnel. Um, Cause they'll be in base. Uh, so, you know, again, I'm just sort of trying to extrapolate and speculate because that's all we can do. You know, we're not in the meetings with coaches. I would not be surprised to see the Seahawks play more multiple tight end personnel this week. I think Geno is better out of that. I think you get the play action boot game out of it. I think you get more defined quick reads and throws. I think the defense becomes more predictable. It would not surprise me, even though Smith Njigba. and by the way, the touchdown he caught this week, was as beautifully a design play as you could get against that coverage. It was cover four, and you couldn't have asked for a better design play. But the point is, is I, I would not be surprised, maybe I'll be wrong, if you see them play more out of multiple tight end personnel this week.
1: And the, your point about the the – Defined, I don't want to say easy reads because that sounds like we're bashing the quarterback. Defined reads is a better way to put it. I think out of 12 and 13, Shane Walter really knows how to dial those up. And Geno Smith, I would say, in my mind, one of the five best deep ball throws in the NFL. I
0: mean, he will do he- good deep ball throw. And, and keep in mind, as you know, you're in the area. Um, last year, out of multiple tight end sets, Geno was maybe oh. the best in the league yeah. in terms of his efficiency. And I think they're really comfortable with the kinds of things they do out of multiple tight end sets. And then if they do want to take a shot, they've got six-man or seven-man base protection as mm-hmm. well, which they're going to need in this game if they want to take shots. Um, I know Cross is back. Um,
1: uh, I don't think Lucas is back this week. I don't week, think he, is he? Is. Pete Carroll said a couple of days ago they're still waiting on it. Okay, getting well, Cross you know, back a big deal. Forsyth played right tackle this week
0: so you know they, they'll need that if they want to go deeper drops in, on shot plays they'll go more max pro they're not going to let Forsyth block one-on-one versus Garrett or or, or Zadarius Smith um, or even Okoronkro for that matter depending on who's on the field so yeah. you know we'll see but I think the my sense is that the pass game and i and I watch the Seahawks closely as you know doing radio up in Seattle uh, mm-hmm. you know I, I, I just think that smith feels more comfortable i think they feel more comfortable offensively with what they can get accomplished from an efficiency standpoint when they're in multiple tight end
1: sets it's almost like with the 11 stuff they're trying to be explosive early in the down and with 12 and 13 they're trying to be explosive late in the down if that makes sense which kind of plays to geno's strengths
0: yeah i mean ultimately i think with geno you know, and you could say this with a lot of quarterbacks, so it's not a knock on Geno Smith at all, because like I said, you could say this with a lot of quarterbacks, but I think you're trying to really define it clearly for him, yeah. and I just think they do that better out of multiple tight ends.
1: And that's, I mean, I, I don't think any of do that other-
0: with any quarterback, by the way.
1: I don't think any offensive coordinator goes into a game or a week saying, "You know what I want to do? Here's what I want to do, Greg. Let's money up it up for our quarterback. As hard as possible for my quarterback. Yeah. I want everyone to be clamped <coughs> down upon, and he has to make perfect stick throws every time. Let's do that."
0: Although he made a throw this week to Noah Fant that I don't know if you saw that one. I did. On I the did. mirrored over routes,
1: that was yep. just pretty ridiculous. He and he he's kind of an effort thrower. Like he'll, <laughs> I'm yeah. showing off now, and he can get away with it. He's he's you know he's. No, he's, he's always said, throwing a beautiful ball. Yep. And, uh, yeah, so uh, I I don't know how much I want to get into Seattle's defense against Cleveland's offense because – Yeah, we, we can uh, we can move on from that for yeah, now. Yeah, I will say Jalen Carter's probably the defensive rookie of the year if the vote is today, but Devin Witherspoon's knocking on his door. I like Devin Witherspoon a lot. No, he's, he's just yeah. fabulous. He was my CB1, and he's exceeded my expectations. <sighs> Okay, uh, this is the Super Bowl, was it uh, 23 rematch? Bengals at 49ers. Um, there were two, a Super Bowl 16 and I think 23. So here you go. Uh, the Vikings, we, we had talked last week about how good Brock Purdy is against the Blitz. I love this stat. The Vikings blitzed Brock Purdy on 15 of his passing attempts, and he completed all 15 for 192 yards and by the way the Vikings only blitz only blitz 50 percent of the time and and and, you know he's rated 57. I
0: I, I, again this is not you so don't take this as, as if I'm you know speaking to you personally but the Vikings play a ton of five-man D-line fronts, okay? Right. And obviously they played a lot more because they got a lot of 21 and 12 personnel, base mm-hmm. personnel from the 49ers. 49ers played a ton more 12, which I'm sure was the result of Debo Samuel not playing. So you're dealing with an offense that my guess is lined up in 50% of their snaps, if not more, were at a base personnel. So mm-hmm. therefore the Vikings played their five-man front big nickel. So when, when a five-man front rushes, I know that websites count that as a blitz because it's five. That's not a blitz to me. They're five defensive linemen. So I think those numbers are skewed. That's just my personal opinion. But anyway, the point is, I thought that Purdy played really, really well. Now... That the second to last interception, the first interception he threw, there was a reason that happened, and I could certainly go into the weeds if you want me to. I'll be more than go happy to. Hey, if we're not, in
1: the, we're in the weeds. Not, I, I don't do have
0: it. to either, but I certainly can. We're in the weeds in the X's and O's. Go for it. All right. So, so basically, what happened on that first interception, which made it look like what the hell is 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 Purdy doing? Um, obviously, we know that Purdy is a high-level timing and anticipation thrower. That's his game. And there are so many examples of that. He just has a feel for that. So that was a timing anticipation throw. And if you look at it pre-snap, the void in which he wanted to throw the football was wide open. And he saw that. And he knew that he had Jennings going into that void. Jennings got pushed outside by the underneath coverage. So that immediately disrupts the timing of the play. Okay, number one. That's what happened. So as soon as Jennings get pushed, uh, Doug, he has to say to himself, you know what? I just have to get my you-know-what in there. I can't mm. run with my normal steps. I just got to get in there because it's been disrupted. But instead of getting in there, he decided to throttle down, take a few extra steps, and and I don't know why. You'd have to ask him. Um. So he did that. So anyway, he's late to where he needs to be, and Purdy you know, is going to throw it anyway. The second part of this is Purdy clearly threw it with conviction, but the left guard, Aaron Banks, got driven back into the pocket so Purdy could not finish his follow-through. And I worked with two quarterbacks on the matchup show, and they said that when you can't finish your follow-through, the ball tends to go too far inside. So that's exactly what happened. So it made it look really, really bad, but there were reasons for it. It wasn't as if Purdy just made a throw that was a head scratcher there were reasons why it happened. It just happened to look really bad.
1: Yeah. He had a 28 yard completion to Kittle. That was court. big time. Yep. Yeah, deep over where uh, deep DJ pushed pushed the left hat, ta- backup left tackle, not Trent Williams into him. And he was like getting, he was almost being thrown off the spot as he threw it. And I'm like, yeah, that was, the-.
0: So, <coughs> yeah, it was, um, he, he ran it versus Metellus, a uh, pretty yeah. made an excellent touch throw with great ball placement on that one. Um, you know, he made some really – he played really, really well. Um, yeah. Um, you know, it's just – you know, obviously they 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 changed their offensive approach from a personnel standpoint. As I said, they play a much higher percentage of 12 personnel, two tight ends, which is not something they normally do.
1: Well, also when Trent Williams is out, that's a <laughs> – that's, that's a factor. We talked about a little about, bit. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about on-off splits with McCaffrey. I don't know what – I don't want to know what their on-off splits when Williams is out because he's, you know, he's him. He is one of one. <laughs> uh, I wanted to mention uh, Vikings Packers. I really like when I watched the game live and then when I went back and watched it, I really like how Kevin O'Connell and his staff are dialing up passing concepts for Kirk Cousins, even without Justin Jefferson on the field. It's an expansive <laughs> passing game answers for blitzes and different coverages yep. all levels of the field. And Cousins is playing about as well as I've ever seen him play very tough test for a Packers defense has been, been a bit iffy. This season, but I just wanted to mention because I hadn't watched the Vikings offense a ton, I, a little bit, but going through just kind of what the Niners did on defense and the cover zero blitzes and whatnot, it really was more about, gosh, they're dialing up some really cool stuff in the passing game.
0: Yeah. And I thought Cousins played really, really yeah, well. I mean, did. because he made some throws. You know, people are probably going to look at this game and think, oh, the 49ers defense played horribly. No, they did not play horribly. They just, They didn't make any big plays. That was the difference. We expect them to make big plays. Certainly sacks, they had no sacks. They did get close several times. They had no turnovers after the Ward interception on the first possession. No big plays, and they could not get off the field on third down. That was the killer. Cousins was outstanding on third down. Nine for 12, 182. Um, Eight of the nine completions resulted in first downs. He had success both versus man, zone, blitz, no blitz. Um, Worked out of muddy, noisy pockets. Cousins played a high-level game. Um, You know, and Cousins, you know, people can say what they want about Cousins, but he does the same thing every year. He's a high-level processor. He's decisive in getting the ball out. You rarely see him, Doug, get stuck in the pocket with no throw. Um, He's a tough kid. You know, every once in a while he has one of those games where you just go, oh, my God, that was one of those games. But for the most part, he does the same thing every single year, and he's just a really good player.
1: Yep. Uh, I want to mention also left tackle Christian Darasaw. I thought was a bit up and down last year. He is really, He's a good playing, player. really playing well this year. So I just, I wanted to mention because we haven't <coughs> talked about Vikings offense a lot. We've talked about Flores and the Blitzes and all that.
0: I It's funny you mentioned Darasaw because, um, and maybe I'm crazy. I don't fancy myself like the Brandon Thorns or the Duke Manny of the world as an offensive line guru. So I don't oh, want to, you know, maybe people that. say yeah. you're crazy, but he came out the same year as Penny Sewell. Um mm-hmm. In the draft, I personally like saw better, but, you know, again, I could be seen as wrong, but I liked Darisaw better as a, as a tackle prospect. And, actually, he's playing left tackle, and we know that Sewell, who's a
1: very good player, by the way, is just yeah. playing right tackle for the Lions. So, uh, Jaguar Steelers, Greg, you gave me some homework yesterday. You said uh, you, you gave me a clue, and then you just stopped it. What are the Steelers doing with George Pickens' recent as opposed to all season long. I
0: gave you a clue. Is, is Colonel Mustard in the Eagle Library, or uh, yes. you know?
1: So here's what I here's what I deduced. And all right, what did
0: you deduce? Uh,
1: he had four explosive plays in the first four games, seven in the last two. He's running more fade routes deep, especially against the Ravens and Rams. The Steelers are stretching their passing formations horizontally to <coughs> give in those one-on-one matchups as opposed to brackets. They're sort of moving him outside of the brackets. That was my so idea. what so. What are they doing
0: formationally to create that? That's the key. They're lining up. Do you want me to tell you? Yes. What they're doing a ton of, and it makes it really hard on defense, is they're lining up in basically four-by-one sets. They're going four strong. Oh, okay. And, and and Pickens is a single receiver to the boundary. So four strong with Pickens, the single receiver, which creates the one-on-one matchups. And depending on how the defense plays it, they either run slants or they run fades. And and Pickens is – say what you want about Pickens. I don't know him personally. You know, there was a lot of talk when he came out in the draft. But that guy is freakish. He's effortless. He's 6'3". He's really smooth. Um, he can run, he's got phenomenal hands and he's really, really difficult to cover. He's shown the ability to defeat press coverage comfortably. He gets cleanly into his routes. He's rarely disrupted off the line. Um, so they run four strong. You can go back and look at this. Just go back to the last two weeks. Okay. Mm -hmm. He's run, they run four strong, four to one side to the wide side of the field. And he's the single receiver on the ball to the boundary. Um, all 11 of his receptions in the last two games have resulted in first downs. Um, and eight of his 11 catches, he was aligned as the boundary X, just what I'm speaking about. So this is how they've chosen to isolate him as a matchup receiver because he's a really, really difficult cover.
1: Yeah, that single corner does not have a good time. Um Jaguars offense and defense. Just your general thoughts, like what you. See. Oh, and
0: by the way, that sets up a very intriguing matchup because Tyson Campbell is the boundary corner for the Jaguars, and he's a solid player with good size. So you're going to see a really interesting matchup in this game. I'm glad you mentioned that. You know, that got me thinking. You're going to see a really interesting matchup of Tyson Campbell and George Pickens in this game.
1: And the Jaguars are playing a crap ton of cover three. Yeah. So that, yeah, but it, you know how that, to the yeah. boundary, basically
0: becomes man. Right. Yeah. So
1: with, with the Jaguars' offense, um, what have you seen so far? Just kind of your general impression. Well, I've seen Trevor Lawrence. I've seen ATN. Oh, oh,
0: you want a little more than that. Okay. Yeah.
1: maybe. Uh, yeah. <clears> guys <throat> with the big cats on their helmets and they run around. Right, right,
0: right, right, right. Yeah. Um, you know, I like their offense. I, I I, really like the way Trevor Lawrence has kind of settled into being um, an efficient player. You know, I loved You know, I noticed this last year, and I thought Doug Peterson and staff did an outstanding job. I remember when when um, uh, Trevor Lawrence came out of Clemson, and obviously we got caught up—not you and I necessarily, but people in this generational bullcrap. Um, but he had some things he had to work on, and you know, he's very elongated in everything he did. And last year. They really sped him up without make, getting him too fast. they shortened his stride they got him back into the pocket quicker they they I wouldn't they tightened his motion which kind of developed as part of everything being tighter um yep. and he's now a very efficient player um and I just really like his development um you know he, and and I think his arm I would never have called him a gun thrower but his arm I think is just naturally a little juicier just cuz of the whole the way they've
1: gotten his lower body and his upper body to work much better and sync together. Yeah. People don't talk about that enough, the lower body with the th- it's like being a pitcher. The lower body matters. I mean, you you uh, you told me stories about, you know, you've got to spend time with Bill Walsh, which I'm envious, and Bill Walsh would talk about the feet of course. That's quarterback. where you start. Move oh. up. Yeah, yeah, it it starts there, you know, because it it all
0: it has to work from the bottom up. Because otherwise, if you can't throw with a firm base, or if you throw off balance, sure, are there quarterbacks that can do that on occasion? You know, the Mahomes, the Allens, there's quarterbacks who can do that, and and there's no question we get excited about that. And every once in a while, maybe that's necessary. But you know, I I always think back to conversations I've had with Kurt Warner. The problem is when your mechanics are bad. You miss too many layups. And that's the term Kurt always uses. He says you can't miss layups in the NFL. And the problem is when your mechanics
1: are bad, you tend to miss too many layups. Yeah. Uh that's not good. So, Greg, as always, great stuff. We'll be uh, watching in DVR the NFL matchup. Tell us what you're going to be featuring, you and Darius and Sal Pal. What's, what's the NFL well, matchup? Well, let's
0: see. I, I, we've been doing that the last couple of days, and now that I'm old, Doug, sometimes I forget. You know, I I, I just remember what we've been talking about for the last half hour. I can't yeah. remember what we're doing on matchup. So, no, anyway, we're, we're doing Jacksonville-Pittsburgh, right? obviously. Uh, Darius is going to take a look at that Jacksonville pass game on, on in, in that matchup. Um uh, because you know that's sort of the the driving force, uh, and they're they're a really good you know they're, they've become a really solid football team. Um, you know, we're also good. I'm going to look at Washington and Philly, and one reason I wanted to do that, you know, you know we're we're in in a, in a league where there's very few teams that play at a really high level week to week. I mean, you know, there's a couple of teams that are like that. You pretty much know what you're going to get, but you know, coming off what what the the Commanders did against the Giants, which obviously wasn't a good game offensively for many reasons. But surprisingly, Howell and the O-line of the Commanders had their best game of the season against the Eagles week four. You know, you wouldn't think that, would you, given the the quality of the Eagles, you know, D-line? But they had their best game of the season, and they put up 31 points. So I'm going to actually take a look at that because Howell actually played extremely well in that game. Uh, He's actually good
1: for a few shot plays of the game, but he's not getting his brains beaten in.
0: Yeah, well, this past week against the Giants, he was sacked six times, and, and none of them were on him. He had no chance, oh, no, no chance. No, I'm like- going to take a look at that. I'm going to take a look at Dak Prescott and the and the Cowboys' pass game. They play the Rams. That's actually a big game. Rams at Dallas. Yes. Um, and uh, so I'm going to take a look at that. Um, what else am I taking a look? Oh, I am going to take a look at the New England Miami game, and and I'm going to break down some of the a couple of plays in which. Um, you know, both New England and Philly were able to handle Tua and that pass game just to oh. show it visually on screen because it, you know, it's easy to say first window and all that, but I want people to see what I'm talking about because that's not the way you know, people usually think about it. So right. I'm going to do that as well. Um, San Francisco-Cincinnati is a game we're obviously doing. Darius is going to take a look at that game. Uh, Cleveland-Seattle. That's actually a very big game. You know, maybe on the national radar, people don't see it that way because those teams are, you know, not America's team-type teams. But that's actually a very big game on this weekend's schedule.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a big deal. Big deal. Uh, okay, great stuff as always, Greg, and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Doug.